0: Uh, My name is Alex Cooper. I'm the resident lighting designer for the National Portrait Gallery. And uh, today, we're going to talk about um, this piece in particular, um, Edgar Varese, Varese, Varese. we'll say Varese, Uh, and use it as um, an example of exhibit lighting for museums, Um, but also to talk about the show a little bit and some of the decisions that went into lighting this show. and before I do that, I just want to back up and talk about lighting design a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a somewhat unusual field. Not many people are, are familiar with it. Um, it is a relatively new field, um, and it's only been in the last 20 or 30 years, we're probably on our second generation of lighting designers, that it has been um, something taught in, at a university level and built into other design um, areas like entertainment design or... Um, Uh, exhibit design so um, in short lighting design doesn't necessarily determine what you see but it does determine how you see it and lighting designers use um, like any design medium a vocabulary of ideas or conceits to um, support visually um, a visitor's experience so um, lighting designers think about objects and light in terms of Um, Just like any other design medium, um, line, shape, color, emphasis, um, pattern, texture, uh, positive and negative space. Um, It's just a vocabulary that we're trained in. The craft is just very different. Rather than working with um, pencil or ink or whatever, we work with light. So it's an interesting uh, medium. Uh, It's very illusory. It's hard to talk about. Um, It's always good to have an example when one talks about it. In working in museums, the um, responsibility of a lighting designer is a little different than uh, other design areas. Uh, In entertainment, you are often working in a visual medium and you're supporting something literary, like if you're lighting um, movies or plays or things like that. In a museum setting, a lighting designer is working in a visual medium and you're supporting another visual medium. And supporting is very interesting and very... Um, critical idea to understand. We're not trying to editorialize the artist's work. We're just trying to present it in as honest a way as we can. Um, But within that, there are a lot of decisions to be made still. Um, Working at the Portrait Gallery is very interesting because besides um, presenting works of art, we're also telling stories here. Uh, We're showing Um, works of art, but we're also um, describing important artists and important members of culture, of American culture. So there's a responsibility as a lighting designer to keep our visitors engaged with uh, the faces they see. They call us the face farm for good reason. Um, And to, uh, in the case of Calder, um, make sure that his work is uh, clearly rendered. And it's challenging with Calder. Uh, Calder Calder's work exists in both a three-dimensional and two-dimensional form. And one of the really neat things about lighting Calder's pieces is as a lighting designer, we get to evoke the two-dimensional aspect of this. So um, with the pieces that we've hung in this show, unlike the ones that are case-mounted, you'll see that we have very carefully rendered this two-dimensional representation. Um, And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun because as a lighting designer, you rarely get to do stuff like this. Um, working with three-dimensional objects is, you know, as interesting as it gets, typically. Um, but um, in, in working with this kind of piece, um, well, I, I should back up. Um, you know, I'm clearly not the only person involved in this conversation. I work in collaboration with a lot of other exhibit designers and curators and, you know, uh, et cetera. So um, to arrive at what you see here was the result of a number of conversations, not just what piece gets the preferential treatment from the doorway, um, how high is it hung, um, where and how do we want to render the two-dimensional shape, um, what kind of emphasis do we want to create behind it, so the size of the circle, for lack of a better word, that appears behind the piece. Um, How keystoned is it? This is something that light evokes Um, you have this three-dimensional form and then you have a 2d version of it and um, we're working really hard to keep the face recognizable in that two-dimensional shape we want the two-dimensional shape to be um, related compositionally to the three-dimensional head and we want that to be clear no matter where you stand around it so whether you're standing from the doorway or not or to the side Um, this piece is interesting because he looks at himself and he moves and spins. So um, not only do you create a dialogue with the piece between the visitor and the piece, but the piece creates a dialogue with itself. Um, that's one of those things you just kind of don't really get, honestly, until you do it. Um, so um, there's a lot to to think about. Um, Another interesting thing to consider is in, in, in the other Calder pieces, and as you can see, we have other three-dimensional pieces uh, around the room. We didn't quite evoke shadows, or the shadow play isn't quite as clear in these pieces as they are in the wall-hung ones. Uh, the wall-hung pieces have a wall behind them that creates a really great canvas. Um, but um, you do get a stronger sense of the dimensionality uh, in these other two-dimensional pieces. I think a little bit of that is lost, in the hung piece, but you gain more than you lose with the shadow play. Um, So once the decision is made, um, what pieces are hung, what pieces have a wall as a canvas behind them, which pieces don't, um, what I do is I uh, look at, um, I start at a very technical level. Um, all of these objects have different kinds of light sensitivity, and conservation, as you would imagine, is a big part of, ex- of exhibit design in general. So, um, how a show is lit really starts from the point of view of uh, you know what what's the most sensitive thing here, and in general, those are paper-based documents. One nice thing about lighting a Calder, the Calder wire pieces, is that they're for the most part very um, uh, stable. So uh, it gives one a lot of um, a very high feeling to work with in terms of foot candles. So knowing that, you can step back and think about how to light the architecture. The architecture is the first layer of light that you work with. And then after you've lit the room, you've lit the objects within the room. And each piece is lit separately, differently, with different kinds of color rendering and different approaches in terms of realizing its dimensional properties or not. Uh, there's a real effort to... Um, present the work as a sort of um, the strongest emphasis in the room. When you walk into the room, the work should really be the most prominent thing. And then there's ideas like this, which are sort of the very last layer. How do you create and render these two-dimensional forms for Calder when he's clearly working simultaneously in both, you know. So, um, as a designer, it's nice to be able to support the artist's idea there. Again, all we try to do is support what the artist has brought to the table. And, you know, as I recall, there were a lot of, this was, we put this show a few months ago, this is about three three exhibits ago for me, so I'm remembering stuff as I talk about it. Um, We do about an exhibit a month here. Um, There was a lot of conversation about how big to make the circle of light behind the piece. So as you walk from the hallway, you see the three-dimensional piece, you see the circle of light, and you see the two-dimensional piece, and the circle of light kind of frames and composes it. Um, It's a way of sort of visually dimensioning the entire thing within the room, it creates a kind of emphasis. Um, It makes it evident and clear that it's something to look at, although I think, you know, most people would get that anyway. Um, And as I said, it was one of the very last things we did, we had to start from a very functional base in terms of accessibility, lighting the room, lighting sensitive objects and building your way up to this. And then uh, we worked real hard to try to make this insubstantial thing dimensional, the three-dimensional object. We didn't want to ignore that either. So uh, that's a real trick, because there's not much to it. Uh, but if, if we did our job right, not only are you aware of its dimensionality, but you get a sense at the material it's made of. It's so easy in a Calder piece to just reduce the three-dimensional shapes to lines. And as you can see, as you look around the room, he worked in, with a lot of different kinds of wire. And, you know, there, there's there's probably a story behind each one. My job's just to make that clear. Um, so uh, that was a real trick. Um, black metal does seem to just shine and turn to white visually. We worked real hard to fight that or at least minimize it. Um, so uh, that's how we were arrived here. Does anyone have questions about any of that? try not to, if we do use color in exhibit lighting, we're very, very subtle with it. Um, it's, it's, it's very easy to cross the line between um, supporting the artist's work and, and, and sort of imposing your own aesthetic on it. Um, in museums, you do see neutral colors used often, the same is true of light, uh, which is not to say we don't use color, but when we do, it's it's rarely... Um, we try to be as hands-off on the artwork as possible. Color is a tricky thing because um, there's many different light sources out there, and different light sources will render artwork differently. There is no such thing as an objective color, uh, and a lighting designer knows that. There's no such thing as objective anything. There's no objective reality to anything that's lit. You know, At, at a certain level, you are determining how things are perceived, but um, the way I like to think about it is the right choice and the best choice is whatever renders the piece in its most complex color. Whatever provides the widest range of colors is probably the best way to go. And some people think that what you have to do is understand the, light, the lighting conditions that the artist worked with. You know, if, if, if um, you know, Cezanne works uh, under northern light, you know, that's, that's what you should do your best to filter and light the show with. And there's something to be said for that, but it's practically very difficult to do. Um, I try to keep a property known as color temperature consistent within a gallery. So um, the color temperature of this exhibit is, uh, for lack of a better word, very blue. There's a fair amount of daylight that filters in through here. Um, That will change. If you were to walk around the museum and you walk into a more historic gallery, you'd see... um, something uh, golder or warmer in some of our older galleries, but it's consistent and uniform, so it doesn't change piece by piece. What does is light level um, and also angular approach for dimensional objects. Each of those has a different point of view, but color temperature I try to keep pretty, pretty common, pretty consistent. It does funny things to your eyes, too. It makes my eyes nuts. So <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, anything else? No. Well, um, okay, the road to being a lighting designer. There's, in my opinion, there's two different ways. Um, it is very much a sort of master-apprentice kind of trade, and for a lot of people, they learn by working with uh, more senior designers in their studio, learning the craft, and eventually breaking off. Um, in the last, as I said, in the last 20 or 30 years, universities have started to develop courses in lighting lighting design, and there are some very notable uh, examples of that, but um, I went to grad school for it. I have an MFA in lighting design. If you can believe such a a thing exists, it does. And it prepares you to work in a broad range of fields, um, um, television, theater, you know, entertainment-based fields. I mean, movies are very specific. They're kind of their own thing. Um, And uh, it turns out there's a need for us. At least in the modern age, so um, interior design firms use lighting designers, architects use lighting designers, uh, museums use lighting designers. Um, so there's a formal path and a sort of less formal one. Uh, I wouldn't say one's better than the other. I did a little bit of both. Before I went to grad school, I worked for an assistant. I worked as an assistant designer for about four years. I thought that's how I would do it. I just sort of, as fate would have it, haven't went to grad school. Um, so yes, it is. Strangely legitimate. <laughs> is there an Oscar for lighting? What's that? Is there, is there, do they give Oscars for lighting uh, in movies or just um, cinematography? I think. Cinem- oh, okay. There's a Tony for it. Oh, okay. so, yeah. so there you go, we've arrived. <laughs> Nothing in the museum world yet, but I check my mail every day. <laughs> um, So, yeah, so I have to say, uh, the Portrait Gallery is a very two-dimensional kind of museum, and we have a lot of great stuff. But when we do get three-dimensional work, I feel very honored and privileged because I don't get to work with it all the time. (laughs) And as a lighting designer, you're mostly trained to think about light and three-dimensional shape and forms. I mean, that's sort of the essence of it. Working two-dimensionally is actually kind of hard. It's very technical. Um, it's very easy to screw up. Um, and the process is very similar to, um, I guess, any other kind of process. I mean, you have designer, and then you have those that, that install the work, and then you work. I work with the, in, the installers for about two or three days, and we set levels, and I walk around with the light meter and make sure things are, look good, but also, from a conservation standpoint, are safe. Um, we're very strict about light levels at the Smithsonian, so um, as everyone should be. But um, it does present a real design challenge. That. Okay, what about future developments? Uh, will we be seeing LED spots in the near future? Very soon. One of the most promising advances in lighting design. To my eye, LEDs don't quite render things, not quite as good as. Mr. Edison's invention. Huh. The light bulb is a good full-spectrum source. Um, the, the incandescent, or the halogen light bulb, is a really good full-spectrum source. Um, we took a misstep with compact fluorescence, and everyone will agree to that. Um, museums should be, in my opinion, although we need to be very concerned about energy, everyone should. And this is a large museum. We use a lot of energy. Um, there, a lot of attention is being paid towards energy conservation. We really need to be late adopters of LED technology, because it's really new. It's very untested. And you know, our responsibility is to show works of art to the public. And if we use anything but the best light sources to do that, we're not being very responsible. So um, there's a lot of pressure for us to, to get more energy efficient and uh, we, we take great steps to manage our energy usage outside of operating hours. I mean, tremendous steps. Um, this building just was renovated about five years ago, and it's actually very good in terms of its energy efficiency. But we use very old technology in terms of light sources because it does the best job at rendering artwork. You know, a uh, landscape painting is one of the most complex collections of colors imaginable, and there's an expectation about how this stuff looks. So um, you know we need, we need to be careful about the artist's intent, and especially artists who have died. You know we are really responsible for making sure their work is perceived by future generations correctly. Throwing in less than really good light sources and doing that, what's the point? You know. Um, so um, LEDs do present one of the most promising approaches. I mean, miles ahead of where fluorescence and compact fluorescence were, people trying to convince us to use those. I mean, I wasn't even sold at the best of them. Um, In the last year, LED technology has really started to amaze and blow me away. Uh, It's not there yet, though. No. No. Uh, We do test galleries. American Art just actually opened up a test gallery down the hall. Um, You can walk out here and walk down the hall about 200 feet and turn left into the Rose Gallery and it's an entire exhibit space lit with LED and it's close it's good. I think just about every museum in the Smithsonian has like a test room of LEDs whether they broadcast it or not as an attempt to figure out you know because one of the biggest questions about LEDs isn't how it looks out of the box. These sources are supposed to last eight to nine years. That's part of their payback period. They cost so much. They really have to but no one knows what they look like eight or nine years down the line you know so they don't they don't fail like a light bulb does. A light bulb works one day and then the filament blows out. And it might get a little bit dimmer, but the quality of light is basically the same. LEDs, who knows? It could go from good to horrible five years down the road. You just have to wait and watch. So we're letting, we're letting industry kind of pull the technology along a little bit. Yeah. yeah, but I have no doubt that in 10 years that's what we'll see here.